This is Classic Lutheran Preaching on KNNA LP 95.7, Lincoln, Nebraska. This is Pastor John Schmidt with an abridged presentation of Martin Luther's sermon for the first Sunday after Trinity. This is from the John Nicholas Lenker Collection, published in 1905 and reissued by Baker Bookhouse in 1983. The scripture text for this sermon is Luke 16, beginning at verse 19. Now there was a certain rich man, and he was clothed in purple and fine linen, faring sumptuously every day. And a certain beggar named Lazarus was laid at his gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Yea, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, and that he was carried away by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, Remember thou that in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now here he is comforted, and thou art in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, that they who would pass from hence to you may not be able, and that none may cross over from thence to us. And he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham saith, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one go to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if one rise from the dead. This is our text. We have hitherto heard in our gospel lessons of various examples of faith and of love. For as they all teach faith and love, I hope you are abundantly and sufficiently informed that no human being can be pleasing to God unless he believes and loves. Now in this gospel text, the Lord presents to us at the same time an example of faith and of unbelief, or of the state of the godless, in order that we also may abhor the contrary and the opposite of faith and love, and that we may cleave to faith and love more diligently. For here we see the judgment of God upon the believers and the unbelievers, which is both dreadful and comforting, dreadful to the faithless and comforting to the faithful. But in order that we may the better grasp the meaning of this text, we must picture to ourselves both the rich man and poor Lazarus. In the rich man we see the nature of unbelief, and in Lazarus the nature of belief. We must not view the rich man according to his outward conduct, for he is in sheep's clothing, his life glitters and shines beautifully, while he tactfully conceals the wolf. For this gospel text does not accuse him of adultery, of murder, or robbery, of violence, or of having done anything that the world or reason would censure. Yea, he has been an honorable and respectable in his life as that Pharisee who fasted twice a week, and what was not as other men, of whom... Jesus speaks of in Luke 18. 
For had he committed such glaring sins, the gospel would have mentioned them, since it examines him so particularly that it describes even the purple robe he wore and the food he ate, which are only external matters, and God does not judge according to them. Therefore he must have led outwardly an exemplary holy life. And according to his own opinion and that of others, he must have kept the whole law of Moses. But we must look into his heart and judge his spirit. For the gospel has penetrating eyes and sees deep into the secret recesses of the soul, reproves also the works which reason cannot reprove, and looks not at the sheep's clothing, but at the true fruit of the tree, to learn whether it is good or not, as the Lord teaches in Matthew 7. Hence, if we judge this rich man according to the fruits of faith, we will find a heart and a tree of unbelief. For the gospel chastises him that he fares sumptuously every day and clothes himself so richly, which reason never considers as especially great sins. Besides, the work righteous people think it is right, and that they are worthy of it, and have merited it by virtue of their holy lives, and they do not see how they thus sin by their unbelief. For this rich man is not punished because he indulged in sumptuous fare and fine clothes, since many saints, kings, and queens in ancient times wore costly apparel, as Solomon, Esther, David, Daniel, and others. But because his heart was attached to them, sought them, trusted and, and chose them, and because he found in them all his joy, delight, and pleasure, and made them, in fact, his idols. This Christ indicates by the words, every day, that he lived thus sumptuously, daily, continuously, from this is seen that he diligently sought and chose such a life, was not forced to it, nor was he in it by accident, or because of his office, or to serve his neighbor. But he only thereby gratified his own lust, and lived to himself, and served only himself. Here one traces the secret sins of his heart as the evil fruit. For where faith is, there is no anxiety for fine clothing and sumptuous feasting, Yea, there is no longing for riches, honor, pleasure, influence, and all that is not God himself. But there is a seeking and a striving for and a cleaving to nothing except to God, the highest good alone. It is the same to him whether his food be dainty or plain, whether his clothing be fine or homespun. For although they even do wear costly clothes, possess great influence and honor, yet they esteem none of these things, but are forced to them, or come to them by accident, or they are compelled to use them in the service of others. Thus Queen Esther says that she bore the royal crown against her will, and that she had to wear it for the sake of the king. David also would rather have lived a private life, but for the sake of God and of his people he had to become king. In like manner all the saints considered that they were constrained to fill their stations of influence, honor, and glory, and their hearts were never entangled by them and labored in these external things to be helpful to their neighbors, as Psalm 62 says, Trust not in oppression, and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart thereon. But where unbelief reigns, man is absorbed by these vanities. He cleaves to them, seeks them, and has no rest until he has acquired them. And after he possesses them, he feeds and fattens himself with them as the swine wallow in the mire, and finds at the same time his happiness and felicity there. He never inquires how his heart stands with his God and what he possesses in God and may expect from him, but his belly is his God, and if he cannot get what he wants he imagines things are going wrong, 
And lo, these dreadful and wicked fruits of unbelief the rich man does not see. He covers them over and blinds his own eyes by the good works of his pharisaical life, and hardens himself until no teaching, exhortation, threatening, nor promise can help him. Behold, this is the secret sin which today's gospel punishes and condemns. From this now follows the other sin, that he forgets to exercise love toward his neighbor. For there he lets poor Lazarus lie at his door, and offers him not the least assistance. And if he had not wished to help him personally, he should have commanded his servants to take him in and care for him. It may have been he knew nothing of God and had never experienced his goodness. For whoever feels the goodness of God feels also for the misfortune of his neighbor. But whoever is not conscious of the goodness of God sympathizes not in the misfortune of his neighbor. Therefore, as he has no pleasure in God, he has no heart for his neighbor. For the nature of faith is that it expects all good from God and it relies only on God. For from this faith man knows God, how he is good and gracious, that by reason of such knowledge his heart becomes so tender and merciful that he wishes cheerfully to do to everyone as he experiences God has done to him. Therefore he breaks forth with love and serves his neighbor out of his whole heart, with his body and life, with his means and honor, with his soul and spirit, and makes him partaker of all he has, just like God did to him. Therefore he does not look after the healthy, the high, the strong, the rich, the noble, the holy persons, who do not need his care, but he looks after the sick, the weak, the poor, the despised, the sinful people, to whom he can be of benefit, and among whom he can exercise his tender heart, and do to them as God has done to him. But the nature of unbelief is that it does not expect any good from God, by which unbelief the heart is blinded, so that it neither feels nor knows how good and gracious God is. But, as Psalm 14 says, he cares not for God, seeks not after him. Out of this blindness follows further that his heart becomes so hard, obdurate, and unmerciful that he has no desire to do a kindness to his fellow man, yea, he would rather harm and offend everybody. For as he is insensible to the goodness of God, so he takes no pleasure in doing good to his neighbor. Consequently, it follows that he does not look after the sick, poor, and despised people, to whom he could and should be helpful and profitable. But he casts his eyes upward and sees only the high, rich, and influential, from whom he himself may receive advantage, gain, pleasure, and honor. So we see now in the example of the rich man that it is impossible to love where no faith exists, and impossible to believe where there is no love, for both will and must be together so that a believer loves everybody and serves everybody, but an unbeliever at heart is an enemy of everybody and wishes to be served by every person, and yet he covers all such horrible, perverted sins with the little show of his hypocritical works as with a sheep's skin. Just as that large bird, the ostrich, which is so stupid that when it sticks its head into a bush, it thinks its entire body is concealed. Hey, here you see that there is nothing blinder and more unmerciful than unbelief. For here the dogs, the most irascible animals, are more merciful to poor Lazarus than this rich man. And they recognize the need of the poor man and lick his sores, while the obdurate, blinded hypocrite is so hard-hearted that he does not wish him to have the crumbs that fell from his table. Now all unbelieving people are like this rich hypocrite. Unbelief cannot do nor be different than this rich man is pictured and set forth by his life. 
and especially is this the character of the clergy as we see before our eyes who never do a truly good work but only seek a good time never serving nor profiting anyone but reversing the order they want everybody to serve them like harpies they only claw everything into their own pockets and like the old adage runs they rob the poor of his purse they are not moved in the least by the poverty of others and although some have not expensive food and raiment yet they do not lack will power and the spirit of actions for they imitate the rich the princes and the lords and do many hypocritically good works by founding institutions and building churches with which they conceal the great rogue the wolf of unbelief so that they become obdurate and hardened and are of no use to anybody these are the rich man likewise we must not judge poor lazarus in his sores poverty and anxiety according to his outward appearance for many persons suffer from affliction and want and yet they gain nothing by it for example king herod suffered a great affliction as is related in acts chapter twelve but afterwards he did not have it better before god on account of it poverty and suffering make no one acceptable to god but whoever is first acceptable to god his poverty and suffering are precious in the eyes of god as psalm one hundred sixteen says precious in the sight of jehovah is the death of his saints thus we must look into the heart of lazarus also and to seek the treasure which made his sores so precious that was surely his faith and love for without faith it is impossible to please god as the author of the hebrews says in chapter eleven therefore his heart also must have confessed that he even in the midst of such poverty and misery expected all good from god and comfortably relied upon him with whose blessings and grace he was so richly satisfied and had such pleasure in them that he would have heartily and willingly suffered even more misery if the will of his gracious god had so determined see that is a true living faith which softened his heart by the knowledge of the divine goodness so that nothing was too heavy or too much to suffer and to do so clever and skillful does faith make the heart when it experiences the grace of god from this faith follows now another virtue namely love to one's neighbor so that he is willing and ready to serve everybody but since lazarus is poor and in misery himself he has nothing with which he could serve others therefore his good will is taken for the deed but this lack of service in temporal things he abundantly makes good by his services in things spiritual for even now long after his death he serves the whole world with his sores hunger and misery his bodily hunger feeds our spiritual hunger his bodily nakedness clothes our spiritual nakedness his bodily sores heal our spiritual sores in this way he teaches and comforts us by his example how god is pleased with us when we are not prosperous here upon the earth if we believe and warns us how god is angry with us even if we are prosperous in our unbelief just as god had pleasure in lazarus in his misery and was displeased with the rich man tell me what king could have rendered a service to the whole world with his possessions like poor lazarus has done with his sores hunger and poverty oh the wonderful works and judgments of god in what a masterly manner he puts to shame the cunning goddess and fool of this world namely reason and worldly wisdom she stalks abroad and fixes her eyes rather upon the beautiful people of the rich man than upon the wounds of poor lazarus she would rather center her eyes upon a healthy handsome person as this rich man was than upon a revolting and naked person like lazarus 
Yea, she holds her nose before the stench of his wounds and turns her eyes from his nakedness. Thus the great goddess and fool of this world overlooks God in the very presence of such a noble treasure, and always quietly passes her own judgment, and at the same time makes this poor person so precious and dear that all the king's hints are not worthy to serve him or to dress his sores. For what king, do you think, would not now with his whole heart exchange his health, purple and crown, for the sores, poverty, and misery of poor Lazarus, if it were possible for him to do so? And what person is there who would now give a snuff for the purple and all the riches of this rich man? Do you not think that this rich man himself, had he not been so blind and had known that such a treasure, a man so precious in the eyes of God, was dying at his gate, would have run out and dressed and kissed his sores and laid him in his best bed, and made all his purple and riches to serve him? But at the same time God's judgment went forth, he did not see that he could do it. Then God thought, Truly you are not worthy to serve him. When later the judgment and work of God were accomplished, the wise fool begins to come to himself, and since he suffers now in hell, he will gladly give his house and land, to whom before he would not give a crumb of bread. And wishes now that Lazarus might cool his tongue with the tip of his fingers, whom before he would not touch. Behold, even at the present day God is filling the world with such judgments and works, but no one sees it. Yea, everybody despises it. There are continually before our eyes poor and needy persons, whom God lays before us as the greatest treasures. But we close our eyes to them and see not what God does there. Later, when God has done his work and we have neglected the treasure, then we hasten and wish to serve, but we waited too long. Then we begin and make sacred relics of their garments, shoes, and furniture, and make pilgrimages to and erect churches over their graves are occupied with many like foolish deeds, and thus ridicule ourselves in that we permit the living saints to be trodden down under our feet and to perish, and we worship their garments, which is neither necessary nor of any use. Said indeed our Lord will let the judgment fall as he did in Matthew 23, where he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the sepulchres of the prophets, and garnish the tombs of the righteous, and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we should not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore you witness to yourselves that ye are sons of them that slew the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye offspring of vipers. How shall ye escape the judgment of hell? All believers are like poor Lazarus. And every believer is a true Lazarus, for he is of the same faith, mind, and will as Lazarus. And whoever will not be a Lazarus will surely have his portion with the rich glutton in the flames of hell. For we must all, like Lazarus, trust in God, surrender ourselves to him to work in us according to his own good pleasure, and be ready to serve all men. And although we all do not suffer from such sores and poverty, yea, the same mind and will must be in us that were in Lazarus, cheerfully to bear such things wherever God wills it. For such poverty of spirit may exist in those who have very great possessions, like Job, David, Abraham, were poor and rich. For David in Psalm 39 says, I am a stranger with thee, a sojourner as all my fathers were. How could that be, since he was a king and possessed extensive lands and large cities? Thus it came about. Although he indeed possessed these, yet his heart did not cleave to them, and they were as nothing compared with the riches he had with God. 
Likewise, he had said of the health of his body that it was as nothing compared to the health of his soul before God, and he would indeed not have murmured had God afflicted him with bodily sores and sickness. So Abraham also, although he had not the poverty and affliction of Lazarus, yet he had the mind and will to bear what Lazarus did if God had visited him thus. For the saints should have one and the same inner mind and spirit, but they cannot have the same outward work and suffering. Therefore Abraham also recognized Lazarus as one of his own, and received him into his bosom, which he would not have done were he not of the same mind, and had he not taken pleasure in the poverty and maladies of Lazarus. Thus is set forth the sum and meaning of the gospel, that we may see how faith everywhere saves, and unbelief condemns. Amen. This has been a presentation of Classical Lutheran Preaching from the Sermons of Martin Luther, the John Nicholas Linker Collection of 1905, and reprinted by Baker Bookhouse in 1983. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska.